Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics that are relevant to women today. We'd love to continue the conversation with you and support you on your life's journey. Just join us in our community. Search Facebook for The Inspired Women Community and request to join. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. Hey, everybody. As I shared in my episode, episode 41, on my story of domestic violence and domestic abuse, I'm also going to share this here, is we're going to share Nisha's story. And it is very, um, very vulnerable. And it's also very colorful. She went through a lot of things that uh, may not be appropriate if you don't feel comfortable sharing with your children, names that she was called, um, things that happened to her physically that you may not be comfortable listening to this around your children. And I just wanted to give you a heads up just in case, because I know I have a lot of moms that listen to the podcast, but you will want to come back and listen to Nisha's story. It is powerful. It will change your life. And you have to hear about how she turned her story of abuse into something really beautiful. And I hope you guys enjoy. Hey guys, today I'm here with my friend Nisha, who I met. We both spoke at a domestic violence awareness forum and that's yeah. where we met for the first time and uh, so Nisha is uh, the Grow Foundation founder is and she's a, a survivor of domestic violence and devoted advocate for awareness after leaving the toxic relationship in late 2012 she began telling her story years later later via her gift of spoken word by the way she is an amazing spoken word poet and yeah. When she had her launch for Grow Foundation, she had some of her friends come who are also equally talented. And I was just blown away because <laughs> that's not even in my wheelhouse of like talent there. <laughs> um, so known to the poetry commu- community as Beautiful Disaster, Nisha has, featured, has been featured on many stages, including New York's renowned New Yorkin Cafe. Um, and this is a different kind of part of New York than where I'm from. That's the city. I'm from the country. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everybody always asks me, are you from New York City? I'm like, no, no, like <laughs> way up there, way, not even the same okay. realm. Um, her courageous transparency soon led to requests to share her story on platforms such as radio interviews, high school and college programs, domestic violence seminars, and empowerment conferences. Along with her speaking engagements, she began volunteering for a local shelter where she created a journaling group to encourage self-expression and healing through the arts. She later became certified as a human a human trafficking victim advocate with the Virginia Beach Justice Initiative and remains an active volunteer with the organization. We actually had um, somebody I interviewed on the podcast and she has an organ a nonprofit that works with human traffic victims. Yeah. So that was that was a more sex traffic victims. Right. But it, right. Um we got into that pretty, and I'll link it up in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com. But it, we got, it was pretty deep. I, I had yeah. to put like a preface, like this may not be appropriate for children. And I might tell people this episode might not be either because of the, right. you know, the topic, domestic violence, it can get depending on, you know, what the parent decides. But, um, but she's also the receiver of several accolades. Nisha was honored by the Investigation Discovery Channel as Hero of the Month highlighted on the PBS channel and performed as keynote speaker for Planned Parenthood Federation of America headquarters in New York. 
Her unwavering commitment and passion to, to help others is the driving force be, behind the mission of Grow Foundation. So I asked Nisha to come on because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I, I automatically, the person that popped in my head was Nisha, um, because one, she is such a powerful advocate for people who have experienced domestic violence, are experienced domestic violence, and she even works with women who are going through it. Like she shares her story on social media and via Grow about hope and faith and all of those ladies. Oh, and, and it's amazing and it's so nice to hear. So Nisha, can you share with us what happened to you personally, um, which obviously um, inspired you to start Grow, but right. what was going on within your life? Well, I um, had... I got into a relationship with this guy and he seemed perfect. And um, what happened was I just got out of a relationship with my, I have two children. I got out of a relationship with my youngest child's father. So I was vulnerable and heartbroken. And, you know, I thought we'd be together forever. And we were like together for going on five years and it just didn't work out. So um, I had a coworker who mentioned that she wanted to introduce me to her brother. She just thought that we would be a good fit. We'd be perfect for one another. And I was just like, eh, I don't know. You know, I just got out of something. I'm not looking to get into, into anything serious, like a rebound thing. Mm -hmm. um, but she would just bring it up every so often. And as time went by, um, she mentioned that she was having a birthday party and that her brother would be there. And she said, I just think you guys will hit it off. You seem like you're his type. I think you'd be your type. So, you know, let, let just, just, just come on out. So I was like, all right. So the night of her birthday party, I was terribly sick and I wasn't going to go. I was like coughing and sneezing. I said, you can't be cute, uh, blowing your nose in the middle of a conversation. But, um, I went. And I met him and I was just like, wow, you know, like we, he could dance. I love dancing. We laughed all night. Um, he was different in that this would be, it was the first interracial relationship I considered having. So um, I, I, I don't know. I just, I liked him. And then at the end of the night, after hours of dancing and talking and joking around and stuff like that, he asked me for my phone number and I told him that, um, I didn't think it was a good idea. I had just got out of a relationship a few months prior and I wasn't looking to get into anything. And he was like, okay, I respect that. So then like hours later that night, I reached out to my friend and I said, Hey, can I get your brother's phone number? I changed my mind. I'd like to talk to him. So I look back at that moment and that's to me, that's like a defining moment that changed so many things. Like I think what would have happened if I hadn't have reached out to her and said, Hey, you know, I changed my mind. Can I get his phone number? But I did. And I text him and we hit it off. And um, so we were date. We were seeing each other. We were like casually dating. I don't know if he was seeing anyone, you know, during the beginning stages of us dating, but we were getting to know one another. Um, I learned he had a great job. He had, was a great dad. He had um, two girls, great father to them and just everything was perfect. 
So during the course of that, my daughter's father starts coming back around, like texting and saying, you know, I think we should try to work this out. I'm sorry. I want us to have our family. I have an older son who he had grown attached to as well and was like a father figure to him even throughout our breakup. And he was just like, I want my family back. So I was going, you know, considering it because it's like, all right, I just met this gentleman, but I don't really know where we're going. I have history with my ex. I still loved him and he wanted to work on our family. So the new guy, I feel like I should come up with some sort of nickname for him. Um, <laughs> I can't think of one right now, but I mean, I can think of some, but it's not appropriate. Um, <laughs> he, he found out that so we're like two months into seeing each other he found out that my ex and i had been talking about a possible reconciliation and he found that out by going through my phone so back then i didn't think about the fact that hey you know we're two months dating we weren't exclusive or anything like that i didn't think about red flag why did you go through my phone you know i just felt like horrible because I'm not someone who likes to hurt people. I'm not someone who likes to betray someone's trust or anything like that. So he was, his feelings were genuinely hurt. And he said, you have to make a decision. It's either your ex and you leave me alone and you go back to whatever that was, or we try to start something new here. So I thought about it and I chose him, the new guy, because I felt like, you know, I'd already been there, done that with my ex. I know the reasons we broke up. He had already broken my heart. I had already given him chance after chance. So why would I go back down that road? So I tried some, I tried it with my new interest, love interest. And from that moment, he never trusted me again. And I, and then from everything that happened from that point, I blamed myself because of that because oh you know I betrayed him I broke his trust he's gonna look at me sideways so from then it started every time my phone rang if I didn't answer it who's that why are you not answering the phone if I missed his call who are you with why did you miss you know why didn't you pick up the phone um everything was an insecurity if if I had to, I mean, I, I have a child with this person. So it's like, um, why do you have to talk to him so often? Or what is he calling you for now? Or why does he have to come to your house to drop your daughter off? Or why can't y'all meet somewhere? It was just little things like that. And then it became more consistent. Then it wasn't just related to my daughter's father. It would be, as you said, I'm a spoken word artist. If I went and performed at an open mic, I was being accused of flirting with the male poets. I was being accused of any poem that I performed. Um, was that about this guy? Was that about that guy? Um, I was looking for attention. I smiled too much. It just became a consistent threat to him. Everything I did, every time I wasn't in his presence, everything that I did outside and away from our relationship became a reason for insecurity for him. So then eventually though that controlling and, you know, he wanted to spend all his time with me. I am the type of woman, I don't have people around my children. If I don't know if we're going anywhere, I'm just not going to have you around my kids. Mm -hmm. So 
here we are three, four months, five months into relationship. And because of how we kind of started off and how we, the route we were turning, I wasn't comfortable with having him around my children yet. And I wasn't around his daughters either. So I would come home from work and I would do mom duties. And if he called and I'm trying to fix the kids dinner, Hey, I got to call you back. Why? How long is it going to take you? Oh, you said you was going to be done in an hour. It took you an hour and a half. Just little, and he would say it almost in like a joking manner to where I would question it. Like, What's going on? Like I said, an hour. Okay, it took me a little longer. It's an hour and a half. Oh, you know, I just like talking to you. I miss talking to you or whatever. So then, goodness, this was like a five-year relationship. So like yeah. the first year consisted of these, these little red flags that I ignored or didn't know were red flags or just mm-hmm. thought, you know, I have to make him feel secure because I messed up. I effed that up in the beginning when I broke his heart and broke his trust. So this is me paying the consequences for that. So um, at some point after the first year, then the second year, we, we were arguing more. The accusations were becoming a bit more daily instead of like every other day or every other week. It was just every day. And then we would argue and then name calling. He would start calling me names, you know. He would break up with me. I don't want to be with you. You're worthless. You know, no one's going to want to be with you. You got two kids, two different fathers. Who's going to want to be with someone like that? Um, you're stupid. You're, And then it was always, I'm sorry, after. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You just made me mad. I just, I can't see myself without you. Um, I got a job, a second job. I worked the first job at the law firm with his sister. And the second job I got was a part-time um, as a, at a bar, like a waitress or a hostess. I would just walk around holding the little shooter glasses and pass out drinks. And when I got that job, he told me, um, he called me a walking, he said I would be a walking STD. He said that, um, I don't know how much I, what, if it's censored on here, but he said something. Oh, no, you're hopeful. good. I can say whatever. Okay, cool. Yeah. So he said, you know. Only whores work at bars. Um, you're going to be a slut. I knew you was a slut. You just want the attention. You just want to do. I've seen the girls in bars. And I, I'm not a big drinker. And I was never a big, like, I never really went out to bars like that. Um, so I don't care. Like, that life was it me. And I don't agree that bartenders are whores and anything like that. One day he came into the bar as a cut and requested my section and he was a, a asshole of a customer. Like he was like, you know, I need the chicken fingers. And I, then I brought it. Oh, these aren't hot. Take them back. And it was just like a control. And I, this is, you know, to the, my manager, this is a customer. He doesn't know that this is an, a boyfriend trying to be controlling and trying to keep an eye on me and see what I'm doing. Um, then it was, I would bring him his drink. I saw you over there talking, um, smiling with that guy. You were flirting with him. What are you going to do? Um, you're going to let him hit it when you, when I leave, you're going to go in the back and let him smash. I mean, just craziness. And, um, I recently wrote about an experience for an older gentleman, like my grandfather's age made me a rose out of a napkin. And I kept, I thought it was cute. It was like pretty, like for it to be a napkin. I was like, wow, this is real intricate. And I kept it. He found it. My boyfriend found it in my car, in my truck. And he accused me of, 
I'm effing this guy. I'm effing guys for napkins. I'm a slut whore. I'm a, I'm a dumb black whore. I'm a dumb black bitch. Like just so many names and, um, that the emotional and verbal abuse would continue for like the second and third year, the name calling, the silent treatment, the lack of affection. If you know, he wouldn't talk to me for days. He wouldn't touch me, hug me, kiss me, anything. If I tried to, you know, if I wanted to cook, cause we didn't get to spend a lot of time because I, again, I would only have him at my house if my kids were asleep or I would go see him if, um, you know, I had a babysitter or things like that. So I valued our time together. And then a lot of that time was spent with him being mad at me. I was always walking on eggshells. So then it became a situation where um, I ran into some financial troubles and I couldn't afford the home, the apartment I was living in anymore. And I actually had to give up my apartment. So I sent my children this is a very like tough, tough decision. I sent my children mm -hmm. to live with my daughter's father. Cause again, he was, he's a bit, we work, didn't work as a couple, but he's an excellent father mm -hmm. to our daughter and a father figure to my son. So I sent my children to live with him. He lives in seven, five, seven area. So I knew they had a bedrooms there. They had a safe, you know, Haven there. They were still in the same school system. Their life wouldn't be as interrupted as my life needed to be so for nine months they lived there and during that nine months i would hop from friend's house to couch to motel to hotel to my car to my friend's garage floor to i mean i really didn't have a place to stay for that whole nine months. And I'm very close with my family. They live up north in New Jersey. I'm sure if I would have reached out to them and told them what was going on, I would have had help, but I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to tell anybody what I was going through. So it got to a point where I would, every morning I would wake up, let's say I slept at a Red Roof Inn was my best friend. <laughs> let's say I slept at Red Roof Inn. And I, got, I would leave at like six o'clock in the morning go to my ex's house mind you he has a whole girlfriend and she would be there she was understanding the situation i would get my kids ready for school have breakfast you know make sure they ate breakfast get them dressed see them off then i would go to work then i would get off work and go back to his house and do homework with them make sure that they had dinner and then they would get into bed by about 8 30 9 o'clock and i would leave and find somewhere to sleep but the whole time i was doing that my boyfriend didn't know where i was going he thought that my kids were staying like i was at a girlfriend's house with the kids doing all these things whereas i was at my ex's house where he's there with his whole girlfriend and doing all these things with them so sometimes he would call and i would be at the dinner table with them doing homework and i would run outside to you know on a porch to ha have this conversation with him so he wouldn't know where i was and one time i ran outside on the porch and it was pouring raining a thunderstorm and i ran outside i barefoot and he's asking me all these questions and my ex comes outside and he's like, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? So I'm just, I like ran to the driveway. So my boyfriend would not hear my ex. 
And I'm talking to him in the rain. And my ex is like, when we got off the phone, he said, what's going on? Like, what has you running to the stand in the middle of a thunderstorm to have a conversation? Who can't hear? Why can't this whoever you're talking to know that you're, I'm, you're here? And I wanted to tell him. And I did it. So I did that. I kept for months. And then my boyfriend said, you know what? You're wasting money going to stay at these hotels every night, these motels. Or he didn't even know I was staying at motels because he would accuse me of sleeping with someone. He said, you're, you're um, spending time, like spending a night at this friend's couch, this friend's house or whatever. You could just stay here. I won't charge you any money. I won't, you know, you can just get yourself together. So I did. I moved in with him. And then that's when the physical abuse started. So one night, the first time he hit me, we were watching Walking Dead. And and he was accusing me of something. I was sleeping with someone. I was being a hoe somewhere. I was was worthless. He don't know why he deal with me. He could have anybody else. And he's choosing to be with me. And... Um, I said, you know, I'm done with this shit. Like, I'm over it. I'm tired of you calling me names. Like, at this point, it's been over two years, going on three years of you just belittling me every day, telling me I'm worthless, stupid, will never amount to anything. Um, I'm just all these things every single day. If you can't stand me and I love you, why am I here? So he hauled off um, and he picked up a pillow and he slapped me so hard with this pillow that I fell off the bed. So in hindsight, it's just a pillow, but it hurt. It hurt more, not so much physically, but like inside, emotionally. And I'm just like, yo, did this dude just slap me? And then I jumped up and I squared up. I'm from Jersey. I'm not just going <laughs> to whoop my ass. Like, you're just not going to do that. And he charged at me. And he, I just, I remember what I had on. I had on a work, my work clothes. I had on a green shirt. It was like frilly. And I I point that out because I have this blog on my girl's website. It's called the green shirt blog. And it's because of that green shirt. It's because I remember what I was wearing. And I had on these cute leopard heels. And he choked me. He threw me on the ground and he was punching, kicking, choking. And I was kicking him over and over with my heels, I kicked them. I was trying to hit him, but the, it, when you're being choked, when you're being strangled, that is one of the scariest feelings, not being able to breathe. And then looking at the person who says they love you and they're the reason why you can't breathe. And he stopped when he saw that my mouth was bleeding. And like, I was crying and I remember my mouth was bleeding and he just kind of like took his hands off my throat and just backed up and and his eyes were real crazed looking just like red rimmed like he was about to start crying and I ran out the house and he came out and he like followed me to my car and he was crying and he said I'm sorry I'm sorry and uh I went back and from there we just had um (laughs) many more instances like that where he always said he was sorry and I always went back. Um, the last time he did it, I remember the first time, not the date, but I remember very specific date, like 
details of it. I remember the last time. I remember the date. I remember what I had on. Um, the last time was in March of 2012. And I was still living with him. And um, I had worked overtime. I was working at Bank of America. And we had a, an event, like a big banquet coming up. And we, I went there on a Saturday to decorate. Well, it was a hotel in like downtown Norfolk. It, it was being hosted at. And I sent him a picture of how pretty the banquet hall looked. And he, I mean, Megan, when I say these dudes was like way, 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 like at the end of the banquet hall, he was like, who are those guys? And I was like, I don't know. You know, they might be hotel mm -hmm. staff. I don't know who they are. And he said, so I know why you went to work. I know why you did overtime so you could be a hoe. Like, you're just trying to uh, go fuck somebody. You're just trying to, that's why you went to work today, so you could be a hoe. So I said, you know what? Okay. I'm coming to get my stuff when I leave here. So when I left work, it was the worst argument on the way home, on the way to his house, and something kept telling me to turn around, turn around. I didn't. We were screaming at each other. Um, he had locked the back door. He had locked the doors for me to get in, so I couldn't get in. Um, I wound up getting in through the back door. Like, I found the key. Like, I knew I had the key somewhere in my purse. I got in, and he had locked. So when you go through the back door, it was like a laundry room. And then you go through another door, and it was, you go to the rest of the house. He locked the door to go into the house. So I'm yelling at him, and he's yelling at me from the other side of the door. And then I just hear him kicking this door. So... I'm in the utility room and he's on the other side of the door. And I just see the door like shaking, like he's trying to break this door down and it's his own door. I mean, all you got to do is unlock it. And something told me to leave and I just wanted my stuff. I just wanted my, that's it, my things. And he broke that door and it was the most vicious attack. Um, I remember my head being banged into walls I remember being thrown on the ground and kicked. I remember trying to figure out what I should cover my face or my stomach or you only have two hands. You can't cover it like, but so much. And, um, it was just, it was just horrific. And, um, when he stopped, I, I, I like was, I just felt, at this point, I had already been, like, depressed, suicidal. I had already gone through being choked by him so many times, kicked by him. I have been already gone through getting thrown out in the, snow, in the middle of a snowstorm with all my stuff being thrown out in the snow with nowhere to go. I had already gone through just being caught, like, just him just being stalked, just being like back to back to back to back to back text messages. I mean, I had gone through so much at this point. I felt completely broken. And um, he, I was screaming. I remember jumping up and down, screaming, look at me, just screaming over and over, look at me. And I'm wearing a big Bank of America, like big ass logo, Bank of America on the front. I said, I went to work. Like, I went to work, and I'm screaming and just screaming my head off, just standing there screaming. And he put his um, hands on my shoulders, and he, like, smoothed my bangs out my face. And he told me I needed to calm down. And he offered me a Capri Sun. I remember he said, 
because I'm hypoglycemic. So if, if I get like real stressed or my sugar gets all like crazy, he said, you're going to get, you're going to get your sugar all out of whack. Let me get your Capri Sun. He said, um, you know, I love you. I wouldn't do this to you if I didn't love you. And he like kissed me on the forehead. And I just went, I remember leaving. I grabbed a bag. I left and I went to my son's soccer game. Like nothing happened. And I remember being in a lot of pain and I wound up going to the emergency room later and they told me I had two broken ribs and a type two concussion. And the nurse, she asked me what happened and I said, I got into a fight with my boyfriend. And she said, do you want me to call the cops? And I told her no. And this was Virginia Beach, Santera. And um, she called them anyway. And I remember sitting on the gurney in the hospital room and the cop comes in and first thing he says is, I need a name. And I said, so I'm mad at the nurse for calling him. And I said, I can't give you a name. And then he said, I need a name. And I said, I cannot give you a name. And then he said, why can't you give me a name? I said, because I have to go back there when I leave here. Because I had nowhere to live. Mm-hmm. So I went back. I told him, I said, I got two broken ribs and... um a concussion and he's like oh my god and I can't believe I did that to you I just wish you wouldn't make me so mad so while that was and the last day the last time he hit me it wasn't when I left I still stayed for months after I eventually wound up saving money to get my own place I still stayed with him he started going to counseling he said he would change he would tell you know and I had already tried the counseling thing and he had convinced me to get out of it because she was trying to break us up my therapist was trying to break us up apparently so he was doing counseling he said that the counselor wanted me to come in and do couples counseling with them and I said no like you need to go to you I I don't want anything to do with that but it was always the white elephant in the room it was always when you're gonna hit me next and even though he didn't put his hands on me after that he the name calling didn't stop the silent treatment the emotional the verbal abuse whenever we got mad at me I would see him itching to slap the shit out of me but he would restrain himself but instead it would be verbal assaults and the final straw was um months 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 later and we got into an argument he was accusing me of something and during the argument he called my mother and my sisters who i'm very close with he called them a nigger (sighs) this is a this is a white my white boyfriend who has only dated black women his daughters are biracial their mother's black most of his friends are black you know like so he said niggers like you niggers like you and your nigger mom and your nigger sisters and i was just like so for me it was one thing to not stand up for myself you know it was one thing for me to take it over and over and over it was another thing to not stand up for the women i love most you know it they weren't here to defend themselves and i Essentially, it was like I cared about them more than I cared about myself because he threw out a very hateful word, yes, but I had been enduring like about five years of hell and it took that moment to make me leave. And that's when I left. And even after that, he tried. I, you know, he, he would 
stalk my Instagram pages. You know, I went to a girlfriend's wedding and I was in her wedding and I posted a picture with another bridesmaids, one of the poets that you saw at my launch. Yeah. And we were in a hotel room in our bridesmaids dress and I posted it on Instagram. And then the next thing I know, I get a text message of the picture and I'm, I'm called a whore. Like I'm in a hotel room with and being a whore. And we hadn't been together for months at this point. So, I mean, it was just... It, it. So while yes, March was the last time he put it. March two thousand, March twenty six, two thousand twelve was the last time he put his hands on me. Um, it it didn't end there, so it didn't technically end till like. That's why I say late two thousand twelve, it ended officially. So. Wow, Keisha, I'm like sitting here like I know. I, I feel like I need to blow my nose or something. I'm trying not to tear up. <laughs> I'm like, thank yeah. you for sharing that. So well, a lot of our stories are similar, um, all the way up until the physical. But I feel like if I had stayed with my ex, it would have gotten physical, and he probably yeah. killed me. Um, yeah. So I'm sitting here like, oh my god, those are the things that he would say to me. Those are the things he would do to me because um, I bartended. Um, when I was with yeah. him, same kind of comments, like, who is that with you? Like, eventually, I ended up being a stay-at-home mom with our daughter because he had convinced me I couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't both work. Like, right. there's no way we could both work. We couldn't make that work. Right. We only had one vehicle. So, like, how would that work? And right. in my mind now, I'm like, it could have totally worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he had convinced me it wouldn't work. And so, like, right. I... I like, I hear your story and people just don't understand because you don't know the, the slow death in a way that it happens. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it doesn't like, it's not like it happens overnight and, and, and they say their story and they try to tell, like, they try to rationalize it in your brain. You're trying to rationalize it. Right. You know, it's going to be better next time, but it never gets better. Correct. You know, right. and, and then they end up like sending you to the hospital or shooting off a gun in your house <laughs> or whatever. Um, right. So right. Uh, with right. that being said, um, now you're, you're happily married to a wonderful man who treats you really yes. well. Um, so there is happy endings. <laughs> right. Uh, but what made you decide to start Grow? What made me decide to start Grow? So... I started Grow because um, when I got the courage to tell my story, it wasn't um, it wasn't right away. It was maybe two years, yeah, two years after getting out of that relationship. And the first time I told my story was on stage. I had I did it via spoken word because during the course of our relationship, um, at some point, me and this. Gen gentleman in quotes um <laughs> he gave me the ultimatum to quit performing or him he said you know I don't feel comfortable with you being around going to these open mics and going to see um these people or whatever so you can't it's me or them so I stopped performing and writing has always been a passion of mine since I was little so it got to a point where not only did I stop performing, I stopped writing. And at first I stopped writing because it, I just didn't want to deal with him and what the repercussions of what would happen if I did decide to go perform or anything like that. But then I stopped writing, I realized, because I was afraid of what I would say. 
if I wrote on paper that this is what's happening to me, I'm being choked, I'm scared, I think he's going to kill me, you know, I'm suicidal, I don't want to be here anymore. If I wrote that on paper, then it made it real. Mm-hmm. So I stopped writing. And when I decided to tell my story, that's how I did it. I wrote and then I spoke it and I couldn't even get through it. I like broke down on stage and I like had to run off, you know, and the more I started doing that, the more the support was overwhelming. The more people started reaching out to me, not just to say, Oh my God, I didn't know you was going through this or I wish you would have told me, or you're so strong. Then it became people like, um, I'm going through this too or my sister's going through this, or my niece is going through this. Then it became, can you come speak at this shelter? Or can you come speak at this school? Can you come speak at these students? So that started to happen more often. So I was like, you know what? Okay. I didn't realize at that point that this is the beginning of like advocacy. You know, I just thought it was me telling my story and somehow me telling my story. I mean, people always told me I had a way with words. I just thought it was another you know, this is just another, not another poem, but another, I'm sharing me with you. And if it helps somebody, then cool. Like, and then it became um, just like a passion. Then a woman reached out to me and she, on Facebook, she sent me a message. And at this point, it had just been me, like maybe sharing poems on social media or speaking at different events. And this woman reached out to me and said she's living in her car with her five-year-old daughter and she has nowhere to go so i'm just like i you know i don't know what to do so you know i reached out to another advocate friend of mine that i met during this whole process of speaking out at different places and i told this this mother i said okay do you have transportation she said yes i said okay I'm going to, she said, I can't, I don't have anywhere to go. And all the shelters are full. So I said, okay, meet me at the Red Roof Inn, the same Red Roof that was my best friend back in the day. And I'm going to pay for you to get a room and then we'll figure some stuff out. So she, the at my advocate friend, she met with me and we met with this young lady and her daughter. And when I walked in, Megan, when I say the guy, at the front desk was the same guy from when I used to sleep at Red Roof Inn like three times a week. And when I, t- I initially told this girl, I said, look, I know what you're going through. Like, I know you don't know me. You don't know me from a can of paint. I can understand why you wouldn't trust me, but just trust me when I tell you, I know what you're going through and it will be fine. You just have to, you have some tough decisions to make. So when we went to the Red Roof, um, the guy, it was like, I remember the lobby area was like full of people and it was like, I don't know if it was like a Friday or what, like a Thursday or Friday. He was like, Hey, I remember you, you used to, you damn near used to live here. And I was just like, Oh my God. You know, I was lightweight embarrassed because the people in the hotel, like the people in the lobby area was looking at me like, he said, you was here. Like, I remember you was here like two, three times a week, whatever happened to you. And I was just like, you know, um, you know, I, I don't need to be here anymore. And the young lady, her eyes was just like really big. Like, and I think at that moment it clicked for her that I meant what I said when I said, I, I've been here and I know what you're going through. And from there, 
I think that was kind of the catalyst to this onset of just people reaching out to me. So then I started trying to get jobs doing um, victim advocacy. I started trying to get like various shelters and things like that. And one thing I found was either they didn't really pay that much and I needed to make enough to where I could survive. Like I still had a family to consider or the jobs that would be where I needed to be as far as um, financially, you had to have a degree and I didn't have that. But you have experience. (laughs) Right. And and I would tell them, right. And I would say, you know, I don't have this piece of paper, but I am, I am compassionate. I am passionate. I am empathetic, sympathetic, all these things, because I know there's nothing that a book can teach you about how to survive domestic violence unless you've gone through it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care what, what it is. You can yes, statistics are great like learning these things are helpful and I do suggest that us as advocates and even survivors, victims, you know, if you have a passion for this, you do take the time to learn, you know, what the state, what the laws are in your state and in various states and things like that. But I can't teach a, a victim of domestic violence how to get through domestic violence just by, Hey, take read this book, read chapter two. That's not going to do it. But I wouldn't, I wasn't getting hired. So I was like, you know what? All right, y'all gonna stop playing with me. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I was talking to a woman who asked me to come speak to her. She has a teenage mentoring group. And she was like, you know, I would just like you to, it could be like a series, you know, just like where you come every other week for the next three, four months and you talk to these girls. And she says, so just think of a name like that you want to call this series. And I was like, um, all right, should I call them beautiful disasters, beauties? No, I was like, no, that's not going to work. And then I was like, um, should I call them, uh, you know, Nisha's? new beginnings like I was just all these little names and then I said you know what no 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 I'm gonna call it the grow series and I said and grow girls recognizing our worth and she's like oh that's perfect and I said I know that's dope I said I just made that name up that's crazy and then when I say it clicked it clicked I was like oh my god that's the name of my organization and it's crazy because I just had an interview on a podcast a week before that. And I told them, I said, you know, I want to start a nonprofit organization. I'm thinking of names. I don't know, you know, um, you know, I, I said just at some point, I don't know that's something I want to do. And then like a week later, like I think of this name and I was like, you know what? And then the next day I went to work. I worked for a law firm and I went on the state's website, the um, state corporation commissioner's office, and I paid my, I researched what I would need to do to reserve that name with the state of Virginia. And it was like $10, fill out an application. I mailed it. I reserved the name. And then the rest is history. I had the paperwork filed and um, here we are. <laughs> I love it. Yes. And I was honored to be a part of like, come and see your launch for girl, like the official launch, which was amazing. And I got to see everybody, but we are running out of time for the podcast. There are two more questions. One, if somebody has experienced domestic violence, what would be the best way for them to reach out and get help? 
to me are just various just to any just help period whatever um, you think would be best <laughs> <laughs> i was experiencing domestic violence to talk to someone you trust don't think or believe that you have to go through this alone um i would also suggest that you document everything um it's key and whether you document it and email that information to your trusted friend email it to yourself whatever whether it's pictures text messages you just doing journal entries um I would say reach out to the local domestic violence hotline or the national domestic violence hotline. Um, I'll link that up in the show notes too. Yes. And or local shelters. And I know that it can get discouraging because a lot of these places are full. And that says a lot about the state of where we're in and domestic violence and how big of an epidemic it is. Or you can reach out to me and then I can just give you all this information over again. But um, you can find me on Instagram, grow underscore VA. Um, in Facebook is grow foundation VA. Um, and my website is growfoundationva.org. You can find me. I mean, I'm so cool and easy to get. <laughs> just reach out to me and, I, and I'll talk to you and just and tell you what you need to do and help you try to connect the dots on what your next step is. And I'll be linking up all of Nisha's um, ways to contact Nisha up in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com. And my final question is, is if somebody wants to get involved and help grow, grow, (laughs) how can they help you out? I am always looking for volunteers, whether it's, you know, I get asked to sometimes whether I'm just a vendor at an event or hosting an event or, you know, I I need girls who are passionate people. You know, you don't have to be um, a domestic violence. Like you don't have to be a survivor of domestic violence. I I, I don't want to, I would hope that there's not just not a bunch of broken women or women trying to heal or men because men can be victims too. Just running here. But you know, just reach out to me, whether it's answering emails, whether it's, you know, attend, come walking with me on the next walk I do or coming to the next event and manning the table for me, or, you know, I'm thinking of different fundraisers to do or just events, open mics, car washes, all these things, or, you know, just have a heart, have a passion for helping people. And that's, and then we'll, we'll figure the rest out. Uh, and they can donate too, right? To grow. Yeah. Yes, yes, please do. <laughs> we have PayPal. Um, the link is on my website as well. We are also approved through GuideStar. And that's a um, great tool with GuideStar. You can, people can now donate birthdays, like on Facebook. Like yes. someone donated her birthday to grow. And what it does was Facebook, it created a Facebook fundraiser and people gave money to her for her birthday, which technically she then turned around and gave to my organization. And that's through GodStar. And GodStar mailed me a check, mailed Grow a check. And I'm also approved through Amazon Smile. So if you like to shop on Amazon, you can list Grow as your favorite nonprofit organization. And then a portion of whatever you spend, a portion of it goes to Grow as well. And I love Amazon. Amazon's like my place. (laughs) Um, So Nisha, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I know, I know it can be hard. I know I just did my episode a couple of days ago. So I was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I appreciate you. And I thank you because you are one of my first Survivor Sundays. You know, tell you know how I have Sarah Survivor story every Sunday. Yes. You were one of my first Survivor Sundays, and I still have people like reach out like about different Survivor stories and tell me, you know, oh, I read Megan's story, or I met read read Nicole's story, anything like that. So I just appreciate you sharing your story with me as well. And I'm hoping to have you speak at my next event. I'll keep you posted. I would love that. (laughs) Like that would just, I want to spread as much awareness I can (laughs) about all of the things that have gone on in my life, which (laughs) are tons, but that's part of the the podcast is be able to spread awareness about, you know, topics I'm passionate about and domestic violence is one. I want women to know that um, you can get out and you don't have to be ashamed and no. there are strong beautiful women who've been been there and done that and now we have happy lives married to men yeah. who treat us like right so correct correct agreed thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the inspire women podcast don't forget to subscribe share this out with your friends and family and join us in the inspire women community on facebook i'll catch you next week